0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Great to see you this morning, and it is great to be back from holidays. We got back a couple of days ago, and uh, you know, the Bible says that a good man's steps are ordered by the Lord, and uh, God ordered my steps to the coffee house. Then He ordered my steps to the beach. Then He ordered my steps back to the coffee house. And that was really my holiday for about two, three weeks. So praise God for that. Who knows that the simple holidays are the best holidays. I've got a tan. Can you see? Don't worry about it. Just a little tan. Well, it's great to be here. And what a great sense of God in the house today. Uh, Let's get into the Word. Who's ready for the Word? If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings chapter 5, I think. The book of 2 Kings. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1 to 15. A lot of, a lot of things have been happening while I've been away. And I uh, just want to announce that Ryan and Mel are having a baby. Very exciting. Thank you for growing the church. Fantastic. So uh, it's exciting, hey? So wonderful. So it's fantastic. A lot of screams out there. It was wonderful. Ah! 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to 15, says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master. He was highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now the band of rages from Aram had gone out, and they'd taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she had served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he will cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went to his master and he told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six talents of shekeled gold and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king read something like this. With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him Of his leprosy. Well, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. Who knows that communication is always very important? Never asked the king to do it. (laughs) When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say to him, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Naaman, Naaman, went away very angry. He said, I thought, I thought... You know, sometimes we think stupid things, don't we? I thought he would surely come out to me... Stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand all over the spot and cure me of his leprosy. I wonder whether you thought Elisha was a Jedi knight. As a barner of the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel, could not I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servants went to him and he said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept this gift from your servant. It's really quite simple, wasn't it? Naaman's crook. Goes to Elisha for help. Elisha says, I can fix this problem. Go on the river and wash. You'll be cleansed. Naaman gets all up in arms about it. Naaman is the one who made it complicated. He's the one who got all annoyed and all upset and all frustrated. And yet if you think about it, the directive itself was incredibly simple. This is not the first time in the Word of God that we see people finding it hard to follow simple directives. We look at the account of Moses and the burning bush. Moses walks up to the mountain, he sees something burning in the distance. Then he walks up there and he sees a bush that is burning, but the Bible says it's not consumed. It's fascinating to him and so he comes closer. The Bible says that as he checks it out, God speaks to him and begins to unfold Moses' life message. And God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, he says, Moses, I'm sending you as a deliverer. I'm sending you to set my people free. I want you to go and begin to, begin to uh, move in that deliverance that I have promised them. Moses responds, not, yes, God, I'll go. Moses goes, who am I? I can't do that. God says, go. Moses says, well, no one's going to listen to me. God says, okay, I'll give you a few miracles to help you out. What have you got in your hand? I've got a staff. Throw it on the ground. Turns into a snake. Picks it back up. Turns back into a staff. He says, grab your hand. Put it in your cloak. He pulls it out. It's white as leprous. The Bible says, put it back in. His hand is completely healed. He goes, that should be enough. You've got a few signs. I've anointed you. I want you to go. Moses says, I can't speak well. God says to him, Who made your mouth? I mean, that's the ultimate argument, isn't it? Who made your mouth? You did. Who made ears to hear? You. Go! I've given you a staff. I've given you some miracles. I've given you a directive. I've made you a deliverer. I've given you a calling and a purpose and a plan. I want you to go. Moses says, he's now completely out of excuses. Exodus 4 verse 13. Pardon your servant, but just please send someone else. So God sends him with Aaron. It didn't need to be that complicated. It's interesting that God has a hard time convincing Moses, as the Bible records, shows the power of free will, the power, the choices that we have to actually delay the purpose of God in our lives. God doesn't twist our arm. He puts before us an opportunity to step into a zone, a zone of blessing and favour. But we've got to make the choice as people to operate in that. Jesus with his disciples after a full day of ministry, the crowds are not just going away as they've fed the 5,000 or they're about to. And Jesus sees them, they've done miracles. The Bible says that he had compassion on them like a sheep, like a shepherd to the sheep. The disciples have a solution. It's now the end of the day. They're tired. They go, send them away. Jesus says, I don't want to send them away. I want to look after them. I want to feed them. I want to nourish them. So he turns to the disciples and he goes, your answer is not going to fix anything. I want you to feed them. Disciples freak out. Right now, they've seen Jesus do miracles. They have seen him operate in his power. And yet, they freak out when he says, I want you to feed them. They say, this will take half a year's wages to look after these people. Are we going to spend that much on bread? I like that last phrase. Are we going to spend that much on bread? When you look at these scenarios, these people are not asked to do monumental things. God is requiring of them simple obedience. So simple, so basic. Can I say so ordinary that they actually miss the opportunity. They don't see the profound simplicity of what God is actually asking them to do. What I find interesting in all of these examples and many more is that God is asking them to do something that is well within their capability. Many times you and I, when it comes to obedience, we think God is going to ask us of something that is beyond our capability and beyond our skill set and beyond our capacity to do it well. But here we see God asking them to do something very simple. Can you wash in the river? Can you speak? Can you feed people? Can you just do ordinary things under my directive? The story gets complicated because they complicate it. I think when we overanalyse it, I think when we spend too much time working it out rather than doing it. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've had this massive battle in your mind. God has asked you to do something or you felt compelled to do something and you go through this process, this emotional battle and you twist yourself all up in knots about whether I should do it, whether I shouldn't do it and you get to the end and you are so exhausted you've got nothing left to actually function in what God has called you to do. Notice there is no complication to the plan. The plan is good. Plan is solid. It's these people that seem to make it harder than what it needs to be. I think as human nature, I think we do that. I think we complicate the simple. I think we confuse the basic. I think one of the reasons why we struggle with simple obedience is like what Galatians 5, verse 17 says in the New Living Translation. It says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just direct opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The reality is it's a conflict to live in simple obedience of the things that God has asked us to do. If you go one step further, I wouldn't even say the concept of obedience in today's generation is exactly an inspiring word. I think people look at obedience as a bad thing, as something that is submissive, something that wants to control you, something that wants to hold you down, uh, to be compliant. These aren't exactly inspiring words when it comes to the things of God. And yet as a follower of Jesus, we have surrendered our will to his will. I looked up in the word, the dictionary, what the word obedience means. And the first example they give is obedience school for dogs not exactly an inspiring example of what obedience actually means. And there are some people that kind of see obedience almost like a chain around a dog's neck. It's a chain to bind. It's a chain to limit. It's a chain to control. Uh, You know, if I just do what God wants me to do, if I live in this thing of submission and obedience, it's not going to release me, but it's actually going to cause problems for my life. I want Pastor Mark to come up here. And uh, grab the other end of this chain. I want you to begin to imagine, if you can, that I'm just man and he's God. Nice hair. Sometimes we see obedience like this, right? I want to do my will. And God is just constantly pulling us in the direction that's causing tension in my life. There's a tension when it comes to being obedient to the will of God and I want to go this way and I want to go that way and God is constantly trying to pull me in a direction that I don't want to go and I don't want to be submissive and I don't want to uh, just do these particular things that God is asking of me and so there's this constant tension in our lives. But I'll say this to you today, you and I need to look at obedience differently in the Word of God because obedience is not a chain that actually binds us but it's actually a link that brings us to the purpose of God in our lives. It's actually a link that brings us back to God's infinite power. It's a link that actually brings us back to what God has for our life, that obedience is actually the link that actually brings breakthrough and blessing into our world. Thank you very much, Pastor Mark. Good job. The reality was is that Naaman's Naaman's obedience linked him to his healing. Naaman could have said, blow it, I'm going. This is ridiculous. And yet it was obedience in the end that linked him to his healing. It was Moses' obedience to the will of God that actually linked him to his destiny. Moses could have turned around and said, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. This is absolutely ridiculous. And yet he said, at the end of the day, I'll be obedient to what God has asked me to do. And it actually linked him to his destiny. He would have never thought that that experience would open up a whole world of opportunity. I want to give you a simple example today on, to help you in your walk of simple obedience. I think no matter how old you are, you, there's always a challenge when it comes to simply obeying God. And I do think as Christians, we can kind of just make our Christian life so complicated. But there is a link between obedience and our future and the promises of God. Obedience links your future with the promise of God in your life, there are many examples that, that we see this in the Word of God. The first one is this Exodus 12, verse 24 talks about the Passover. They're in Egypt. They're bound. It's the last of the plagues. God is about to release them. And He says, In order to protect you from the angel of death, I want you to do these particular things. I want you to follow these ordinances of putting blood around the doorposts and, and blood on the door so the angel of death will pass you by. And I want you to begin to uh, take a meal in remembrance of this was the day that I broke through in your life. And God says, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you. And your descendants, who would have ever thought a simple act of obedience like that was going to set them free, not for one generation, but for multiple generations. And it didn't look like much. It almost looked like a simple ceremony. Yet behind that, because God had directed it, there was incredible breakthrough in their lives. Often we have to go beyond what we see when it comes to obedience. There's a story I heard the other day about Bill Gates. Bill Gates met God. And God said, Well, Bill, I'm really confused about this one. I'm not sure whether to send you to heaven or to hell. After all, you enormously helped society by putting a computer in almost every home in the world. And yet you created that horrible windows that people get so frustrated with. So I'm gonna do something that I've never done before. I'm gonna let you decide where you're gonna go. Bill said, This is great. I have options. He said, What's the difference between the two? And God said, it might help you decide if you took a peek at both places. So shall we look at hell first? Bill was amazed. He said, sure, let's go. God took him to hell. He saw a clean, white, sandy beach with clear waters. There were thousands of beautiful women running around, playing in the water, laughing and frolicking about. The sun was shining. The temperature was perfect. This is great, said Bill. If this is hell, I can't wait to see heaven. God said, let's go. Off they went to heaven. Well, Bill saw Puffy white clouds in a beautiful... By by the way, this is not theologically correct, this story. (laughs) So all you theologians out there think, I've lost my mind while I was on holidays. (laughs) This is a make-believe story. Okay. Okay. I don't want to get any letters this week. Well, Bill saw puffy white clouds in a beautiful blue sky with angels drifting about playing harps and singing. Ah. It was nice, but surely not as enticing as hell. Bill thought for a brief moment, rendered his decision. He said, God, I do believe I'd prefer to go to hell. As he wished, said God. Bill was gone. Two weeks later, God decided to check out on the late billionaire to see how things were going. He found Bill shackled to a wall, screaming amidst the hot flames in a dark cave. He was being tortured by demons with pitchforks. How you doing, Bill? Asked God. Bill responded with anguish and despair. This is awful! This is not what I expected at all. What happened to the beach? The beautiful women playing in the water? What happened to all that? Oh, that said God. That was the screensaver. (laughs) Obedience is not driven by the screensaver. It's not driven by what we see. In such a culturally... Visual generation, we can allow our obedience to be controlled by what we see. Naaman is looking at the surface. He's just seeing what's in front of him. It looks simple. It looks distasteful. It it looks disrespectful. I'm being disrespected here. It almost looks beneath him. He comes with a big entourage, massive preparations with his big flowing robes. He would expect at least Elisha to come out. I've prepared for all this, and he's not even going to come out and see me. And yet he couldn't see what God could see. Moses couldn't see what God knew. I had an amazing experience last year when I was in Eastern Europe of small coincidences that kind of all added up. And we were ministering in a church in Eastern Europe, and throughout the week we'd travelled, I don't know, maybe a 1,000 kilometres, travelling from city to city and preaching in different towns, and uh, there was a particular city that they heard that we were in town and they asked us to preach in. It's a large city, but it was a small church. The, uh, the senior pastor would just taken over from the older guy. They had finished their transition. He was a guy in his 40s. And uh, they were, th- you know, they were thanking God that they had a visiting preacher. They normally wouldn't get any visiting preachers. The church was kind of too small. And so they asked us to come and speak. Uh, it wasn't a large church by all means of the imagination. It was small. Uh, They had their own building. It looked fantastic. The pastor comes to me on the Wednesday night, I think it was, and he said, look, we don't normally do midweek meetings, but because you're in town, you're only in this town for this particular night, we set up an impromptu meeting. He said, we don't know uh, who's going to turn up. And uh, often when the pastor says that, he's trying to lower my expectations when it comes to the size of the crowd. And uh, I said, look, to be honest, I said, I don't care whether it's five people or 5,000. I said, that's just not the way ministry works, right? And so uh, uh, as the music was going, I turned around. There's probably about 50 people in the room, right? And uh, most of the church was empty. I get up, start preaching, and going for it and, you know, giving my best. Get to the end, I feel to do the altar call. And uh, as I start doing that, I didn't realize that a couple had come in off the street. They were an unsafe couple, had never been in church before. I think they must have walked past maybe that church a number of times and it happened to be open this night that they were walking past. They decided to go in. And as I gave the altar call, they responded at the front. I'm just thinking that these are just church people, but they're not. They're people that have never walked into the church. They come forward, I pray for them, I give them a word. And uh, the word is accurate. They freak out. They go, how did this guy know these things about us? That other people came forward, prayed for them, gave them other prophetic words as well. And uh, get to the end of the meeting, people are crying, there's a touch of God in the house. This is wonderful. Oh, Church, I've got to tell you, you know, I'd rather be preaching in a crowd of five people where there's a move of God than a thousand people and everyone's dead. I'm telling you, for me personally, the pinnacle is not the crowd, the pinnacle is a move of God. To walk away and go, whoa, God was here. Not just, I just was blabbering and raving on, you know. And so anyway, so they get to the end and we, we, we take the pastor out. We go out for dinner and we want to connect with him. And uh, Avram is with me He's standing there. He goes, I know you. And then it all linked together. It all connected together. This pastor was a guy that Avram had sponsored years ago to do Bible college. Kind of lost track. Now this guy here is now the guy that we're preaching in the church. The guy sits and he begins to talk and he goes, what are you guys doing here? And one of the things that we have, we've worked with numbers of people in Eastern Europe. Some have been the old religious establishment. They've been fantastic. They've given us open doors. But there's a whole group of people that we want to reach, young people, you know, people that we can start youth lifestyle events where we can see young people get saved. I mean, our youth group had 24 people get saved on the weekend. That is unheard of in some of these churches over there, right? There is something that Australia has Right, in terms of missions that we can influence some of the major establishments around the world. I believe that the church in Europe needs a revival, a revival of a move of God. And so uh, uh, we began to talk to him about that. And he said, you know, funny enough you say that. He goes, um, I represent a pastor's network of next generation pastors. We want what you guys are doing. And we've been talking about it in our meetings, how we can reach this next generation And how we can begin to see God move? And you know, we run a conference once a year. We invited some guys, but they, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing. We've never invited people before, and it kind of really was okay, but wasn't great. He goes, "We've been praying for this that God would make the right connections." We happened to rock up on that weekend, on that Wednesday night, and you know what they saw in terms of the prophetic they hadn't seen before, or they hadn't seen for years. But let me say this: what we just is normal for us, is is crazy in some other places. Right? And God began to open doors on that little, little opportunity. I've seen this many times in ministry, seen many times in the way that God reaches people. You know, it's amazing how one little opportunity, if we look past what we see and go by the Spirit of God and being obedient to God, it's amazing how God actually opens up those doors. I would say this, obedience doesn't bow to small issues, the surface stuff. The stuff that we see. The judgments we make about people and opportunities. What we see, what we feel, what we hear, what we touch. Let me say this. If you don't feel full of faith, then you're in the right place. Because faith does not go on your feelings. We, we, we operate so much in our feelings. I feel full of faith. Yes, there are times that you feel the presence of God. But faith does not come from your feelings. The Bible says that faith comes by the word, hearing the word and by the word of God. It doesn't say if you feel full of faith, if you see full of faith, then you can do it. The Bible talks about the faith comes from the Word of God. We stop at hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We say, well, I hear the storm or I hear the challenges or I hear the negativity or I hear it can't be done and we stop there. No, you're going to need to go one step further than what you hear. You need to go back to the Word of God and be obedient to what God is asking you to do. And we see God begin to do a significant thing You know, it's amazing. I think if anything, when it comes to this name and story, it really reveals that he's a really small man on the inside. It was beneath him. It was below his status in society. Church, I don't think we ever graduate from simple obedience. I don't think we ever get to a stage in our lives that we say, well, that was beyond me. That's something that I don't need to do anymore. I've had people come to me in the past and say, I want to preach. And I said, well, can you be faithful following that person up? I want to lead worship. Can you be faithful in actually following instruction? I wonder whether God challenges us to be obedient in the simple, to see whether we can actually follow instruction, to see whether we can actually fall into line when he asks us to, whether we can actually be faithful in just doing the small things well. Because if he can trust us in the small, then he can trust us in the large. What we often do is we often make choices based on the screensaver rather than the the long-term effect. The obedience that God is asking us to sign up for is prophetic. It asks something of us where he already knows the outcome. Every time God asks you and I to be obedient in an area, we praise God that we have a master and saviour who knows the outcome. How many times have you been obedient to things, but they don't know the outcome, you don't know the outcome. But when you are obedient to the purpose and the call of God, he already knows the outcome. He knows every angle. He knows every pitfall, he knows what to do, he knows when to say stop, he knows. I remember a few years ago on one of our campuses, I was speaking to uni about this the other day, there was a whole bunch of issues that were going on in that campus, it was probably when we just arrived here in Melbourne, and uh, there was some stuff that we had to sort through, and uh, you know, one of our campuses in that transition uh, was struggling, some of the leaders just became very arrogant in their leadership and felt that they could take the campus for themselves. And I remember saying to them, well, it's not your campus, it's not my campus, it's God's campus, you know. If I work for BHP, I don't decide one day to take the Western Mining Operations. If I work for Maya, I don't decide well, I'm going to take, the Chatson store, because doesn't work that way, you know. A whole bunch of issues when it came to this particular campus, and so there was a breakaway. There was a breakaway. There were lies that were spoken about our church, lies spoken about Frank and I, right? Lies spoken about the leadership team, and they said this and they said that, which actually wasn't true at all. You know, we, we were very honouring, and we said, all right, see you later. If that's where you want to go, goodbye. And look, to be honest, I don't waste my time with negative people. I actually don't waste my time when it comes to people that are unreasonable. And so I felt this group of people were unreasonable. I said, love you, bless you, see you later, off you went. The campus dropped down to about 30 people. I'll be honest, I didn't think that that campus was going to survive. But I recognise that it's not my church, it's God's church. And as you see in a minister, I'll fight for what God has given us. Right? So I said, we're going to go after this. We're going to build it. We're going to strengthen it. We are going to do everything in our power to bring health to this. remember turning to uni, who... Uh, so one of our worship leaders, and I said, Uni, I said, while well, we're trying to find the new pastor, I said, can you just come and just bring the worship team together? Just a simple request. Not a big thing. Uni, without a second, to, yep, I'm in. And he went in there and began to bring health and vitality, and you know, and I remember, you know, back then the church itself, it was in a school hall, and you know, it just the way that it was set up wasn't great. And now with, you know, 80% of the congregation gone, it was like only a few people left. It felt empty. It felt dull. Uh, It felt tired. I'll be honest, those first two Sundays, it probably didn't even feel full of faith at all. But we made a decision that we're not going to live by what we feel. We're going to make a decision by being obedient to the purpose and the call of God, you know. So uni went in there. Simple obedience. Simple obedience went in there. Simple obedience to the purpose of God and started to build that and and bring health to that. And then the pastor came in and started to unwind some of the the mindsets and really started to bring health to that thing. We we now look back now, probably four or five years later, that campus is now double services. They've got their own building. Uh, It's bigger than what has ever, ever has been before. And not because there have been superstars running it, just because people have put up their hand in simple obedience and said, we will do what God has called us to do, you know. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that to be critical of what's happened. I'm just saying that even in moments of discouragement and despair and challenging and and tough times, the thing that will carry you through is obedience. I have a vision for your life in 2019, I have a vision for what God wants to do in your life. I'm believing, I'm honestly believing that this is your best year. You have new beginnings. A year to let dead things go. A year for new seasons of vitality and fruitfulness. I'm believing that this year, for each and every one of you, one of our, our theme this year, I won't share it now, but we have a theme this year that you can take home. It's a take-home theme. It's not just about the overall vision of the church. But it's a take-home theme where God wants to bring blessing and favour and anointing into your life. You know, the Bible says this in John chapter 15, verse 1-4. to If we talk about this link, I want the musicians to come, and I'll finish with this. Jesus said this, he put it this way. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So there's the link the vine and the branches, right? The word remain is an interesting word. It means to stay, not to depart. It means to stay on the path, stay on the purpose of God. Uh, it means to stay in the plan. It has an eternity thing attached to it as well, that when you stay, what you build will actually last. Don't you want to know that what you build actually lasts? do you know that when you're gone, it's dead? No, you want to know that what you build actually lasts? The Bible says if you remain in Christ... You get your direction, your purpose, not by your feelings, not by your offences, not by the things that frustrate you, but you get your obedience from Him. What you actually does actually remains. Paul makes an interesting point. He says, My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. Guess what? No one no one can bypass the cut we all get cut if we are unfruitful we get cut if we are fruitful we get cut there's no one here in this place today that according to this can get away with not getting cut by the things of God God comes and He prunes us He shapes us we're being unfruitful He prunes us we're being fruitful we're being effective God why are you pruning me God begins to prune us and shape us Now, we often look at the pruning and we say that's the point of the story. But I'd go one step further because Jesus is talking about abiding in the vine. The connection in the vine is really the key to that story. That if you want to survive the cut, then you need to be connected strongly in the purpose of God. Now, late last year, Pastor Mark preached on this. Uh, We had a gardener come to our house. I'm not great with gardening, by the way. Praise God for that. And uh, we had a gardener come. We have these big mop trees big trees out of our front yard and they were growing crazy out of control we wanted the gardener to shape them into nice balls and uh, maybe even a swan you know and uh, he said uh, he said look he goes they're so all over the place he goes I need to cut them right back I need to prune them right back and so my wife said yep go ahead start pruning them so I was out in the morning I was coming back early uh, mid-morning to prepare I think it was a Friday and he was out there and as I walked past him to go into the house he's coming to the end of his job he hadn't pruned back the trees he had massacred them can I just put that photo up just a bit of an illustration <laughs> Right, thank you that's what I thought so I rang Frank and I go this guy where'd you get him from bogusgardeners.com I mean look at this thing this guy hasn't pruned it. He's massacred it. He's killed my tree. So now I've got three of these. Great. I'm going to have three stumps sitting out of the ground. That's the tree. The tree of Matt Hines is three stumps. Praise God. So I take a photo. I go, I go this guy is an idiot. Why did you employ this guy? He's useless. She said, well, apparently he reckons that in October they'll start to bud again. I go, they will never bud again. They will never bud again. He has killed those things completely. And uh, we're now in February, a few months later. Let's have a look. What do you think of that? And do you know what? The leaves are softer. Last night I nuzzled my head in the leaves. branches are more compliant so now he can shape them into that swan that I've always wanted what's the point the pruning no this is the point, the point is is that that tree was so deeply rooted that it could actually survive a cut like that right many people when they are not when they are not rooted in deeply when life cuts you God allows circumstances, I'm speaking prophetically this morning. When God allows circumstances to come into your life, when there are things that happen to you that you don't understand, if you are not deeply rooted, I'm telling you, you will not survive the cut. If that thing was in a plant pot, it'd be dead. But the reality is it's so deep into the ground that now we've got root problems that we have to sort out. But that's okay because it doesn't look like a horrible stick anymore, it looks like a nice tree. When you plant yourself in church life, when you plant yourself in the Word, you say, I'm planted with God, but I'm not planted in the church. That's not the way it goes. God established the church. When you plant yourself in a community of people, you decide to go deep. You decide to say, this is my place, my resting place. This is the place that I'm going to build my life on." I'm not using this as a, as a promotion or to stay in this church. What I am saying is you've got to find a church, plug yourself into a church. Don't allow offence and niggly things and surface things to uproot you. If you're a person that whose obedience is based on the little offence, the little thing that someone said, the little hurt that you experience, mate, you are not gonna be able to survive the cut. One of the things I'm gonna be preaching to the musicians and singers about, not because I think this is an issue. Um, I read this great book on resilience over over, over my holidays. This psychologist talks about, uh, 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 you know, people that are in the public eye and who get their, you know, their, uh, their work always criticised. How do you survive criticism and rejection? There has to be a resilience against that. And I just thought and it's absolutely fantastic. You know what? I want us to build a church that is a sensitive church to people's needs. But I want to say this, I also want to build a church that is resiliently mature as well, that people don't fly off the handle because of one offense and one issue and one problem. You cannot build a great life in the kingdom of God if you are constantly uprooted to to go to the next thing, to go to the next thing, to go to the next thing, to go to the next thing. But when God shapes you, when God prunes you, when God cuts you back, it's how deep you go that determines whether you survive the cut. I pray this year as God prunes our lives, prunes my life, prunes your life, that we survived the cut in 2019. Right? That we look back, our leaves are softer. We're more in line with the purpose of God because we've just made a commitment to be simply obedient to the purpose of God in our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.